0: Uh, if you would turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke, uh, chapter 18, Luke, uh, chapter 18. Uh, we're continuing our study uh, through Luke's gospel. Uh, my little sweet Elizabeth, seven years old, told me this morning uh, that because food is right across the parking lot, she has given me freedom to preach a little after 12. So if my seven-year-old could take a little bit more time in the Word, I think you can too. Amen? Amen. Thank you for not amening. <laughs> Uh, Well, we're going to be in Luke's gospel. We're going to be uh, looking at verses 18 through 34, uh, a passage many of you are probably familiar with. Uh, I'll read that passage, uh, and then I will pray, and we will dive in God's word uh, together. Uh, Read along with me in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. And the ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? And he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time, in the age to come, eternal life. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, God, you are good, and you are good alone. God, we thank you for your righteousness, your holiness. We thank you that you are a God abounding in steadfast love and mercy, a God of compassion, a God of grace, God. And God, when we enter into your presence, we are reminded of our sinfulness. We do not deserve to come to you. So God, we confess our sins to you, the sins of this past week, We confess how we have believed that we were better than we are, God. We confess for our lack of faith. We confess our trusting in riches or abilities or talents, God, and not trusting in your grace. God, forgive us for our boastful tendencies. Forgive us for the things we've done to shame you, the things we've done to bring shame upon your church. God, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ asking, pleading for the forgiveness of sins. God, it says in your word that those who confess their sins, that you who are faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God, we stand forgiven in the cross. This morning we embrace the forgiveness that you have offered us through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, remind us again and again that through Christ you have taken our sins, taken our many sins, and cast them as far as the east is from the west, that you will no longer count our sins against us. Lord, we thank you for forgiveness. And God, I thank you for um, our city, the city you have given us. God, we pray that you would continue to make your gospel go forth in our city. Uh, We pray this morning for uh, Jay Hardwick at North Rock Hill. We pray as he stands to preach your gospel, God, that you would give him words of clarity, words of wisdom, God, we pray that you'd fill him with your spirit, God, that the people there would be uh, edified and strengthened by your grace. God, form those people more and more into the likeness of Christ. God, we thank you for this church, Father. For 107 years, this church has been a herald of the gospel to this city. Countless men and women have been baptized, have been encouraged, have been fed by the word of God from this stage, from this pulpit. Dear God, I pray that you would do so even more today. God, I pray that as the word goes forth today, that you would be creating a, a, a ripple effect, God, through all eternity, that lives would be transformed this very hour, God. That men and women would be, would be challenged to forsake all for the kingdom of God, trusting in your promises of future reward. So God, we take a moment and thank you for your faithfulness to Park Baptist Church. God, we thank you for The years of faithfulness of men and women, day in and day out, week in and week out, laboring for your glory in connection with this body. God, we are just so thankful. I am thankful for the men and women in this church who love you, who love each other. God, I pray that you would give us many, many, many more fruitful years. And dear Father, I pray that you would give us a vision, a vision for the future, that the best years of Park Baptist Church are ahead, God that we would look behind and that we would be strengthened and encouraged by those who have gone before us and that we would press on toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus because of their faithful example. So God, I pray that you would do that even now through this hour. We pray that you would quiet our hearts, that when the word of God goes forth today, that we would receive it as it is the word of God. So God, I pray that I may decrease, that you may increase. Magnify the greatness of your name this morning and give us true delight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, was one of our revered and honored founding fathers. Uh, He is known for his incredible intellect and numerous inventions. He also had uh, quite a number of pithy and wise sayings. Uh, For example, he quoted, Early to bed, early to rise makes a man wealthy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Or, in this world can be said nothing to be certain except death and taxes. Uh, He was the founder of the University of Pennsylvania where I attended my undergrad. Um, So I've heard many of these sayings. And one of the common Franklin sayings on campus was a a misquote from a letter he wrote to Andre Millet in 1779. He quoted saying, Behold, the rain which descends from heaven upon our vineyards, there it enters the roots of the vines to be changed into wine, a constant proof that God loves us and loves to see us happy. And now, of course, many college students would twist this saying and uh, quote it as beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. Uh, Franklin believed that God wanted humanity to be happy. The pursuit. Of Happiness is one of the reasons why he loved America. Even the founding documents of our um, Declaration of Independence guarantees our pursuit of happiness. Franklin said these words: "The Constitution only gives people the right to pursue happiness. You have to catch it yourself." Now America was founded on the idea of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So the question for us this morning is, what makes us happy? I mean, what brings happiness? Franklin had his own ideas of what brought people happiness and what people should pursue to find happiness. And he's not alone. If you would go to the Internet and just do a quick search, what makes us happy, you would find almost everybody who has their own idea what you need to pursue to find happiness, whether it be organic foods, chocolate, Laughter, spending time outside, watching sports with friends, family, exercise. You could find almost anything that you should pursue to find happiness. We all want to be happy, don't we? We all want to to have joy in life. But isn't it interesting? We spend most of our lives pursuing things to make us happy, only to discover that in the end, they leave us empty. The truth is that many of us do not know what would truly bring happiness. Is there a pursuit that will not leave us empty, but help us to attain true and lasting happiness? That which will fill us with true delight. We all have different activities we may enjoy, but I believe there is only one true pursuit that can bring lasting lasting happiness. Surprise, it is the pursuit of God. It's the pursuit of God. Joel read it in our scripture reading, Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, the Lord is the only one who knows what you truly desire. The desires deep down in your hearts. The Lord is the only one who knows that. You may think you know what you need. You may think you know what brings you happiness, but truthfully, the Lord is the only one who knows? So this passage this morning, Luke tries to shares a story of how Jesus tries to help a man find true happiness. And looking at this man's life, we're going to ask three questions of ourselves in the hopes that we will be led to pursue true happiness. The first question I, I want to ask you through this text this morning is, are you distorting your righteousness? Are you distorting your righteousness? So this rich, young ruler uh, came to Jesus with the right question. Look what it says in verse 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now that is a great question. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, I wonder how you would answer that question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Be a good person? Do more good things than bad? Love people. Go to church. Well, Jesus gives him his response in verse 19. Look what Jesus, the king of glory said. Verse 19, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. Right there at the beginning, Jesus is trying to expose this young man's heart to show that he had a distorted view, a mixed-up view of his own righteousness. Because Jesus said, only God is good. See, this man was judging himself based on the wrong standards. He was comparing himself to others rather than comparing himself to God. And like the Pharisee we saw above in the passage last week, he trusted in himself himself in his own righteousness, rather than the righteousness of Christ. See, this rich young man believed he was acceptable to God because he believed that he had not broken any of these commandments. So when Jesus referenced at the beginning, only God is good, he was trying to expose how this man did not meet these commandments. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus deepens the external commands of the law, given the Ten Commandments to the the law of the heart. So has this man ever been angry? Well, that according to Jesus, he has committed murder of the heart. Has this man ever had a lustful thought? That according to Jesus, he committed adultery of the heart. Jesus was trying to help this man to see his distorted view of his own righteousness and to see his desperate need of a Savior. One of the reasons why we come week in and week out is that we need to be reminded that we need Jesus. Everything in our world tells us that you are okay in your own. But the Bible says the opposite. You need a Savior. So when he, it's almost as if when he asked the question, what must he do to in- inherit eternal life, he was almost expecting to hear, you're good, man. Hey, you got, you got it covered. You know, you've been doing all the right things. Way to go. You know, we've all asked those questions. We, we expected a pat on the back. You know, we, we said, you know, how did those steak taste? Thinking that you're going to hear, I'm an awesome grill master, <laughs> right? Or do you like my haircut? And you're expecting to hear, it's the best you've looked in years. You know, there's this, these ideas where we're asking a question, expecting to be affirmed with the question. But Jesus does not give him the answer that he wants. What he says in verse 22 Then Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. The man still lacked one thing. His wealth, his riches were keeping him from Jesus. He had false hope in his good works and a false trust in his riches. Now I want you to notice that Jesus answers the man's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He answers the question in the last three words at the end of verse 22. Look what Jesus says. Come, follow me. Eternal life is found only in coming and following Jesus Christ. Jesus graciously and lovingly told this man how to be truly happy, how to have eternal life forever. He exposed the idol of this man's heart by saying there's one thing that is separating you from me. He said, lay down your riches. Give them away. And you will have treasure in heaven. Give it away. Come. Follow me. Jesus is offering this man true happiness. Uh, Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, true pleasure is only found when we loosen our grip on this world and pursue the presence of God. Because only in God is there fullness of joy and true and lasting pleasure. So let me ask you a question this morning. What is your one thing? What is the the thing in your life that you are grasping so tight that you are not holding on to God? See, before you hold fast to Jesus Christ, you have to loosen your grip on something else. That's the idea of repentance. Repentance is faith. It's trusting, but it's also turning. You turn from sin and you cling to Christ. So what is keeping you from Christ? Riches? Relationship? Reputation, what is that one thing? Can I just plead with you? As a pastor this morning who loves you, is to let go, to let go of that one thing and cling to Christ. Now imagine if there was a a cliff, uh, a a, a valley, one cliff and another and a rope wrapped on on that cliff and you're holding on that rope with one hand and you're holding your one thing with the other. Well, here's what happens is eventually your, your grip is a, starting to slip. And the only way that you are going to be able to save yourself is if you grab on with this hand, let go of your one thing and cling to Christ. That is the only way you will be saved for eternity is letting go of your sin. Letting go of the one thing that will keep you from Christ. This man was given that choice. He's saying, loosen your grip. Loosen your grip on your riches and on your wealth and cling to me. Come, follow me. And what does he do? We see this in the second question. Are you deceived by present riches? Are you deceived by present riches? The rich young man was given the answer to his question. He was given the truth, yet did he listen? Verse 23 sees that he did not. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. For he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This man was extremely rich, and yet he went away sad. We know that money cannot buy true happiness. Even Ben Franklin quoted... Money has never made a man happy, nor will it. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more of it one has, the more one wants. See, it is hard to loosen your grips, particularly on wealth. The wealthy will not often inherit the kingdom of God because their pride in their riches inhibits or blocks them from receiving the kingdom of God like a child, what we just saw in verses 15 through 17 last week. I mean, Have you ever noticed how the extremely rich feel how they are above the law. And they they believe that their their wealth, their riches, entitles them to a certain level of respect and privilege. See, the thing is, is when you have wealth and you have influence and you have power, it is hard to be humble. See, riches are not the problem. But it's the deception. It's the lies that come along with riches. Now, if I was going to ask you the question today, we're pro- not many of us here are probably in the extremely rich category like this rich young man. But that doesn't mean that we are free from being deceived by our own riches. See, prosperity trains us to believe that we don't need God. This has been around since the, since the creation of the world. Uh, Moses writes this in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, I'm just going to read. and I want you to listen how God warns through Moses the people of God about prosperity. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his rules and his statute which I command you today less than when you've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, when your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, prosperity, that your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes perish before you, so shall you perish, because you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God. See, this is what the rich man was doing. He says that he kept all the commandments of God, but he forgot the first commandment, that you shall have no other gods before me. And Jesus looked at him and says, you have another God. You have another God. Your God is your money. You cannot serve both God and money. Let it go. Come and follow me. Are you deceived by your riches, by your wealth? It may not be money, but it may be talents. It may be other kinds of blessing. How you spend your money, beloved, is a great barometer to your spiritual health. None of us may be extremely rich, but I quoted a statistic last week that really has troubled me. 12% of evangelical Christians give 10% of their income. So 12% give a tithe, meaning 88% don't. Now, if you don't tithe, ask yourself why. Why not? That could be because you're in the process of going through a financial difficulty and you're working to get out of it. It could be because you don't think that you need to. But I, I just want you to listen to my heart for a second. I'm not trying to boost our giving. I'm not trying to make more money come into the offering plate. I'm trying to care for your souls. If you Do not give to God. You may be trusting in your riches and not in God's grace. The way you handle your money is a reflection of your heart and an indicator whether you are finding your happiness in God or in your wealth. Ask yourself that. Are you finding true happiness in God or are you clinging To your riches. Giving is an act of obedience. It's a display of the love we have for God. Because let's just be honest, it's not natural. It's not natural to give your money away. It's not natural to to loosen your grip on what you have earned and, and give it to God in his glory. This is why those who said it, and it's it's an act of God, verse 26. Those who heard this said, Who can be saved? You know, in that day, the, the, the rich were looked at as the ones who had the power and influence. And if the rich can't be saved, who can be? And Jesus looked at them and said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. We are not saved by our wealth or our riches. We are saved by our faith in Christ. We give because we believe that God loves a cheerful giver. We give Because we believe that we are storing up for ourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Every time we give, we are saying, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that God overcame the grave for me, so I'm going to send it ahead where I will experience it there. And when you hold on to your riches, what you're saying is, I don't really have faith that God will bless me in the future. So maybe your lack of giving is a sign of deception and a lack of faith. If we want to grow in our faith, you exercise your muscles. So if you want to get stronger, what do you do? You work out, okay? If you want to have more faith, what do you do? You give. You give. Why? Because it's an exercise of faith. And what happens? You will grow in faith when you exercise it. And what a better way to exercise your faith than through your checkbooks. Last question. Let me ask you this morning, are you delighting in future rewards? Are you delighting in future rewards? See, the whole Christian life is geared towards the future. Uh, We have faith that God exists and he will reward those who earnestly seek him. Uh, We are banking our lives on God's promise of future reward. Now, Peter wanted to remind Jesus in this very moment how much they had sacrificed for Jesus. Listen to what he said in verse 28 through 30. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. Listen, look at me, Jesus. Look how much we have given up for you. Listen to Jesus, re- Jesus' reply. And he said to them, Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this life and the age to come eternal life. See, Jesus does not minimize the sacrifice of giving. He maximizes the reward of what we will get. One of my favorite stories is um, about Jim Elliot. He's a 25, at 25, Jim Elliot uh, left the United States uh, to go to the Quichua, Quichua people of uh, Ecuador. And he was going there to share them the gospel. These people were known as cannibals and they, they had no gospel witness. So at 25 years old, he went there and with four other missionaries, after a few positive experiences with uh, a certain sect of those groups who were known as intense warriors, they decided, well, it's time to go and visit the larger group of people. Uh, so at 28, Jim Elliott and four companions uh, took a little plane and, and, and landed it and went to see these uh, people who were far from God. And at that very day, on January 8th, 1956, um, Jim Elliott was slaughtered and killed. Elizabeth Elliott was widowed and their daughter Valerie was orphaned. Jim gave up his life for the kingdom of God. In a journal entry about seven years earlier, uh, on October 28, 1949, a 22-year-old, hear that, young people, a 22-year-old, wrote these words showing that he had faith in Jesus for the next life and he trusted in Jesus what he was going to do for him in the future rather than holding and grasping onto this life. This is what he said. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He wrote that at 22 and he lived it till he died at the age of 28. Are you focusing on what God is asking you to give up or are you focusing on what God has promised to give you in the resurrection? How you answer that question will determine if you are able to loosen your grip on that one thing. And beloved, we all have a different one thing. It could be riches. But I, I promise you, I have my one thing. So the thing that continues tries to, to get me to grab onto you so I cannot grab onto Christ. Let it go. Come and follow Christ. Now, Jim Elliot is a great example of someone who lived for the next life. But we have a much better example. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 31. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. Jesus Christ has given up more than any man. He was the eternal, is the eternal Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, in perfect relationship with the Father, in glory, in heaven. And yet, what did he do? He stepped out of glory. The Creator became one of the creation made like us in every respect. He humbled himself, taking the form of a man. Shamefully treated, mocked, spit upon, and crucified. This is the same Jesus who looks at me and you and says, Come, follow me. Jesus is not asking you to do anything that he himself has not already done. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us therefore lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now hear me, this Jesus, why did he endure the cross? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. See, Jesus died. Jesus took the cross because he was delighting in the future promise that God told him. Jesus says, I know that I will die, but on the third day I will rise. And where is Jesus now? He is seated at the right hand on the throne of God given the place that is above every place and the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Jesus knew what was promised him. So he was willing to delight in his future. Now, beloved, it can be difficult to live in the promise of future grace. And when it becomes hard, we are tempted to turn and grab back that one thing in our life. But we must consider Jesus, right? What he endured from sinful men so that we will not grow weary, we will not get tired or faint hearted, but we will have courage to run our race fixed on our Savior, our Lord, our Redeemer. Beloved, when we put our faith in Christ, when we grab him, we are united with him. We are perfect in him, we are forgiven in him, we are redeemed. So when the trump resounds and the Lord descends, even so, even so, it is well with my soul. Beloved, Jesus invites you to come and follow him. Now, I don't know what makes you happy. I don't. I don't know what brings you joy. But you know what I do know? I know him. I know him who has promised to give you true and lasting Joy and delight in this life and the age to come, eternal life. Beloved, come. Follow Jesus. Follow Him. It's worth it. Delight in Him. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, our joy, our peace, our true delight God, I pray that we would look to Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, God, and is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. God, I pray that we would look to Jesus, that we would run this race with perseverance, that we would pursue true and lasting happiness by pursuing the one and the only one who can give it to us the Lord Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that you would help us, help us this morning, lay aside that one thing that is keeping us from you, that we may come and follow Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.